Welcome to the Know It Some podcast, bringing you the widest variety of conversational interviews for a well-rounded perspective on life. Because while it's true, nobody likes a know-it-all, it's also good to know it some. Here's your host, Steve Platt. That's right. Welcome back to the Know It Some podcast. I'm your host, Steve Platt, and this week is for all my music lovers, all the listeners here who love music, because we're going to be talking with Mr. John Linsky. He is the chief archivist and historian for the Allman Brothers Band, and he is the director of the Allman Brothers Band Museum and Foundation there in Macon, Georgia. He he pretty much wrote the book on the Allman Brothers, uh, literally. He knows everything that, that has to do with the band, its members, its history, its music. Uh, it's just an incredible wealth of, of knowledge that he possesses, and it was a true honor having him on the show Folks in Explore Nation, all my Columbus listeners, they know that Mr. Linsky is a legend, um, but he's so much more than that. Just a really great guy, gracious with his time, and I was grateful to have the time to speak with him. And this conversation was a real fun one. Uh, the Almond Brothers Band is one of the greatest bands of all time. Their At Fillmore East album, in my opinion, is the greatest live album of all time. So to speak with somebody who knows so much about the band and has been so close with them for so long uh, was just a real treat. If you are a member of Explore Nation or you're a huge Almond Brothers fan, make sure that you go to Good Pods. That is the listening platform that allows you to rank individual episodes and give it a five-star ranking. Show Mr. Linsky some love. Folks, I'm not going to hold you away from this interview any longer. Without further ado, my friend, John Linsky. Mr. John Linsky, welcome to the Know It Some podcast. I appreciate you being here today. How are you doing? Steve, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, doing great in idyllic Macon, Georgia. Uh, enjoying the pace of life up here. And thank you for having me again, brother. No, it's, it's an honor. Sincerely, nobody knows more about the Allman Brothers than you do. What's your official title there at the big house in Macon? I am the chief archivist and historian of the band. So... On my better days, I know a little. Yeah. <laughs> You've been involved with them for quite some time and, and had a, a number of titles revolving around the Allman Brothers. The Allman Brothers band being singularly unique. I don't know if that phrase is redundant or not, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, I like and, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, they they are so many things. You can't peg them to a genre. They're, when, when you listen to them, they're rhythm and blues, they're, they're jazz, they're country, they're rock. They're not any one thing they're just music in general um a, a band that jams right and uh when you when you hear their music there's a range to their songs you can hear songs like jessica and ramblin man but that will only paint so much of the picture until you hear songs like not my cross to bear or soul shine and then it's a, a completely different sound you know the sound the, the music doesn't all sound the same like when you're listening to red hot chili peppers and i know i'm gonna get hate mail for that but i I love the Chili Peppers, but all their music sounds the same. You don't get that with the Allman Brothers. When were you first introduced to their music? Like, what, when, when did you first hear them or get into them? Who introduced you to the Allman Brothers music? Well, Steve, you know, what you just said is, is, is incredibly accurate. It's like uh, the band, somebody threw all these elements into a, a, a cauldron, and this witch's brew came out of blues, jazz, R&B, psychedelic rock, country. And 
somehow this very diverse mix worked. Uh, and when you combine the considerable talents of each member, uh, they became uh, an incredible, incredible lineup and a lineup that changed. Yes, varied. Yes. But for 45 years, uh, there were no better musicians in a band than the members of the Allman Brothers band. And um, as for me, I was very lucky when I was 12 in 1972. We moved into a new neighborhood. It's in Palmetto Bay now. Um, and I was the youngest kid in the neighborhood by two, three years. You know, and at our age, two or three years doesn't mean anything. But when you're 12 and everybody else is 14 or 15, it, it makes a huge difference. And these guys in the neighborhood taught me a lot. They taught me a lot about sports, uh, you know. But they also were way into their music. And the early 70s was a great time for music. So I got, a, I got an encyclopedic A to Z lesson in music. Uh, and ironically, almonds start with A. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got heavily dosed on the, the Fillmore East record. Um, and that was the beginning of everything. And um, while my music tastes are very eclectic, you know, from America to ZZ Top and everything in between, the almonds always resonated with me. Um, and I carried it with me into high school at Columbus, into college, even after they broke up, I continued to listen to their music. Um, and, you know, I was a history teacher. I'm a history guy. So I studied their history. And it wasn't that easy back then, you know. There was yeah. no you internet. Couldn't, you couldn't no Wikipedia page or, yeah. or uh, just Google articles. Yeah, it was hard, um, but I learned as much as I possibly could, and I and I found their story to be fascinating. You know, triumph and tragedy, and uh, overcoming hardships and beating the odds, and and using music as an outlet for emotions. Plus, their their whole social aspect. They were. You know, when you look at the original Allman Brothers band, you had five white hippies and a black guy living right. in Macon, Georgia in 1969 in their own way, because music is colorblind after all. Um, they, they helped integrate in their own way the Deep South. You yeah. know, five freaks and a black guy, they turned yeah. some heads and they didn't care because music is music and it's a universal language and i was fascinated by that as well so anyway fast I, I bet they turned some heads i bet macon you know hadn't seen anything really like it and uh they might not have been as well received by some when they first came to town they um, were definitely not well received but, uh, they, but they didn't leave it how they found it right i mean macon uh and and the south like you mentioned was kind of transformed by their presence and by their music uh, i mean to me the two best things coming out of georgia are uh, pecans and almonds uh, <laughs> and, and uh you know certainly they, they made an impact they did and you know just on a sidebar they they never embraced that whole southern rock thing they actually disliked that term immensely yeah uh, they didn't like the term jam band either they were just a band that happened to jam, but they do a lot. They did a lot of other things and they never embraced that whole, you know, Molly Hatchet, Skinnerd, Outlaws, wave the rebel flag and all that. They weren't about that. They were right. closer to, to, to Miles Davis 
than yeah. they were to a, a rebel flag. So although they were the first band to make it from the South, they never bought into that whole, they were the antithesis of that, actually. Well, didn't they, um, didn't they play gigs opening for, you know, folks like B.B. King and stuff? I mean, um, absolutely. So. Yeah, they, they preferred to open for either B.B. King or Albert King or Freddie King. Uh, you know, they were serious musicians. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you know, they, they showed up and they played in the clothes they were wearing. And they, they weren't into fashion. They just got up and played. And if you didn't appreciate serious music, then it probably wasn't the band for you. Um, but a lot of people well, I do. I guess my question is, when, when, or, yeah. when or how did you become involved with them? So in 1989, uh, the band had been broken up for most of the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. disco, then techno and, and, and all that stuff. But uh, 89 was their 20th anniversary. Epic Records put out a big box set to commemorate that. They talked the guys into doing a reunion tour. It was basically a moneymaker. Uh, right. But... You know, the winds of change were blowing in 1989, and a lot of bands from that era were getting back together. Uh, yeah. The Stones, Jefferson Airplane, the Doobie Brothers, all these bands, it just seemed 89 was the year, and the tour went so well that they said, hell, let's do this again. And I went to one of those shows uh, at Sunrise Musical. Uh, it's no longer there, a great venue up in Lauderdale. Um, and I knew who their tour manager was. It was crazy. Like I said, pre-internet and all that. But I knew, gentleman's name is Kirk West. He's one of my dear friends now. And um, I knew who he was. I saw him in the parking lot. And I walked up to him and I said, you're Kirk West. And he said, yeah, on my better days, I'm Kirk West. And I, <laughs> we started talking and talking and talking. And he says, you know a lot. I said, I, I know a little. Uh, and he said, look, we're always looking for people that appreciate the history of this band. So we stayed in touch. Um, my big opportunity came. The band launched a music magazine, their own magazine called Hitting the Note. And uh, I wrote an article. They liked it. Eventually, I became uh, editor-in-chief. And Hitting the Note really expanded I was able to interview all kinds of people um, from Carlos Santana to David Crosby, but it always revolved around the almonds teaching school. As you know, I did uh, allowed me to go on the road with them in the summer. Uh, I was selling merch. I was doing publicity and my role expanded and expanded and expanded. And I became sort of the unofficial historian of the band got involved with uh, writing liner notes for albums, um, archival releases from the vault. And, um, you know, that is how I got started with them. And then in terms of the museum, um, Kirk West, the gentleman I just mentioned in 1993, he actually bought the big house down here in Macon, Georgia. Kirk and his wife lived in Chicago, but he felt that that house in Macon was too important to be overlooked because no band has, there is no, there are no other band house museums in the country, Graceland aside, you know, mm -hmm. the, de the dead had a house in San Francisco, the airplane had a house, Skinner had a house, the Doobie brothers had a house. I can keep going. 
None of yeah. those houses are museums. So long story short, short, Kirk and his wife moved down to Macon, convinced the owners of the big house, as it's called, because it is a very big house, um, to sell it to them. Kirk set up his huge memorabilia collection in there, and it became an unofficial museum. Uh, and uh, they didn't have any idea what a mecca it was going to become. So right. after about 15 years of doing that, Kirk's wife cursed and finally said, I can't have people showing up, knocking on the door at all hours, wanting <laughs> to walk through the house. So they decided to sell the house and their collection to a foundation. Uh, I was, uh, I've been on the board of directors from the very beginning. Uh, the band was totally behind it. All the guys, Greg, Butch, Jamo, Dickey, Warren, everybody was behind it. Bert Holman, the band's manager, channeled a lot of money. Uh, the house was purchased, renovated, set up for uh, museum displays. We collected stuff, purchased stuff. Stuff was donated. You'd be surprised, Steve, how many people call and say, hey, I was up in my old man's attic and I found this. I found that. Do you want it? And so we opened for business in 2009. And people at first said, you'll last six months. Well, here we are now, the largest tourist attraction in Macon, Georgia. Um, and we're very proud of that. And um, we continue to grow and expand and survived COVID. And um, it is the coolest rock and roll museum about a band that exists in the country. So absolutely. I mean, I've seen some really cool stuff that you've posted to social media. And I encourage anybody listening. <laughs> to check it out um you know some history in those walls uh, oh, let me man. ask the historian <laughs> the at Fillmore east album i i i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's the greatest li live album of all time i really do feel that that way yeah but, you're not you know, you're not you're not on a limb when you say that you're you're really absolutely correct when you say that yeah but you know what, what's interesting to me is they they had been together for a while had a couple albums before that and some of the songs on previous albums, like like Midnight Rider on, on Idlewood South, like yeah. they they were great songs, you know, among their greatest hits now and look back upon really fondly. But it seems like that live album that Fillmore East, it kind of, you know, I'm not saying that the band wasn't on the map, but that whole put them on the map thing. It took them to like the next level, that album. What, what can you tell me about how important that album is in the history of the band? that album is everything it's a seminal album for the for the band because they were a, a band they were a performance band they were never a studio band did they have some good songs in the studio yeah but they were all about playing live it's what they did and there was this zen-like non-verbal communication between the original six that had to be you you can't describe it, it can only be experienced and that it all came through on Fillmore East because they liked to play long. They liked to improvise. They never played, they played the same songs, but they never played them the same way twice. And Fillmore East captured that. The ability for them to improvise, the genius of, of Dwayne Allman and Dickie Betts, their interplay, uh, the vocals of Greg Allman, uh, the bass playing of Barry Oakley and the dual drumming of J-Mo and Butch Trucks, you mix that together and the creativity uh, level heard on that album, it, 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 
brought to attend to the attention of the entire nation just how good these guys were at their craft uh, again studio is fine but they were all about and remained playing live it's what they did and are there other great live albums yeah is there anything that compares to phil maurice no and after 50 years i think um it has clearly withstood the test of time you know, I, I listened to Mountain Jam, which uh, someone was telling me is not on uh, at Phil Maurice. I think they were saying it, it was on Eda Peach, but yeah, know, but I, it was it was recorded during the the Fillmore run. Yes, in, in March of, of seventy one. Okay, correct. Yeah, you know, I listened to it, and um, I don't think there's a better jam session that I've ever heard in my life. In terms of, they were all like on the same wavelength. You know, like like. Like uh, I, it's hard to explain, but like they were they were riding the same wave spiritually. And I know that sounds super uh, hippie of me, but I, it just if you listen to that, it, it's it's special. Th these guys were, were like family. This this whole band, you have the Almond Brothers. Right. But then you have the Toller Brothers at times. And and, you know, uh, the truck family, uh, you have him and yeah. his nephews involved. It, it really is kind of a, a family. It seems like you've joined that family. How how important is that to the music, the the family like atmosphere of the Almond Brothers band? Oh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and that's where the big house played a huge role. When the original lineup lived there from the years seventy to seventy three, it was all about family. It was all about community. It was all about the you know you said it the the hippie uh, family spirit, and they were like brothers because they lived in a bubble you know we talk about pandemic bubbles well they in macon georgia it was them against everybody else for a while there and yes when you share something like that i guess other than you know guys in combat you, you can't grow closer than that when you spend 300 days on the road together in 1970 there's a bond there and yes in that mountain jam it all that's the prime example of that when they come out of the the drum solo and oh, yeah. for the next 11 minutes, I, you've never heard music played like that. Totally it's uh, improvised, totally nonverbal communication, not just sensing what the other guy was going to do, knowing what the other guy was going to do. It's teamwork, you know, and you and I both love sports, music and teamwork. There, there is that visceral connection. And when you know what your teammate is going to do without having to think, well, that's how they did it on stage. So you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Incredible. You know that I don't know if this is fair to say, but I'll put it out there this way. It's been said that the, the band lived pretty hard, uh, yeah. you know, definitely some some hard living and some stories there at the big house and, and throughout their their tours. And in that, the band kind of was beset by tragedy a few times. Yeah. Notably, you know, motorcycle accidents uh, pretty close together. Yeah. Uh, Allman and, and Barry Oakley. I wanted to ask you as the historian, was, was there ever a doubt within the band whether they would continue without their leader, without uh, Dwayne, when, when that accident occurred? You know, to your point, yes, they they lived as hard as they played. There's no question. And they, they were, they had a bit of an outlaw attitude when they were on the road. And, 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 and Dwayne Allman was a true Scorpio. Everything he did, he did 1000%. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, from playing to partying to reading and learning to riding his motorcycle. And, you know, when he was killed in October of 71, of course, there was that immediate reaction of, you know, we're done, we're finished, we can't go on, because he was the undisputed leader, the founder. It was his, his vision that carried them forward. But then they all realized two things. A, he wouldn't want them to quit. And, and B, it kept them, the only way they could keep from going insane was to keep playing. Um, right. And they did. And they channeled their grief and their anger and their frustration into the music. They didn't even think about replacing him. Didn't make any sense. There was no one going to step into those shoes. So they carried on as a five-man lineup. And Dickie Betts and Barry Oakley did an amazing job filling the gap. Oh, they all did. Filling yeah. that, that unfillable gap. But then, unfortunately, like you said, 13 months later, three blocks apart, Barry Oakley, um, the bass player, phenomenal musician. And the big house was his house, by the way. His name was on the lease. It was oh, his okay. family. Home. Yeah. Yeah. It was the Oakley family home and everybody else used it as a hub of operations. But, you know, Barry, <laughs> Barry and Dwayne were killed 13 months apart, three blocks from each other in Macon, yeah. Georgia, you can stand at one site and see the other site. They were both 24 years old. Um, and that, that, that was a, a double, double blow, an incredibly hard blow. Um, mm. You know, um, it marked the end of the band's time at the big house when Barry died. But you know what? They, again, they soldiered on, they recreated themselves. They kept going. Um, and there's been many iterations of the band, lineup changes, you know, and ironically, fittingly, they always found the best players. They always found the best players. Rolling Stones, top 100 guitar players of all time. Four guys are from the Allman Brothers band. Yep. No other band has more than two. The Allmans had four. Dwayne Allman, Dickie Betts, Warren Haynes, Derek Trucks. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. So yes, is, uh, is Dickie Betts uh, in, in um, good relations with uh, the remaining members or, or the newer members of the of the band? Dickie has always been a bit of a lone wolf. Um, yeah, you know he's enjoying retirement. He lives in Sarasota. Uh, yeah, he's down the road yes. from me. Not, yeah. not literally, but he's not too far. No, I, yeah, I, you know you've got you've got a legend in your area there. Um, For sure. And, you know, he left the band under maybe not the best circumstances. But before Greg Allman died, they they patched up their differences. Uh, you know, he's played with the other guys at various times. Um, but Dickie at this stage is happily retired and, and enjoying the good life. Um, yeah. You know, and, so these and things so happen in rock and roll. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned Greg passing. What's interesting, yeah. I, I didn't realize just how many lives he had touched personally and how many people showed up at his funeral. I, I believe Jimmy Carter went, Cher, even though he, they were only married like nine days. Um, you know, she 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 went to the funeral from what I hear. Uh, seems seems like his passing really hit a lot of people hard. It did. I mean, all of his ex-wives except one showed up. President Carter showed up. Um, it was... Um, you know, working, I, I don't think I mentioned one of the things I did was I helped Greg write his autobiography. 
my okay. roster there. And right. that was quite an experience because, interestingly enough, as, as you said, Greg Allman touched a lot of lives. And there's a lot of young girls named, or older women for that matter, too, named Melissa because of Greg Allman. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and finding out that, that Greg was the antithesis of a rock star. He was, I mean, he was a rock star, but he was shy. Yeah. You don't usually use the word shy with rock star. Greg would be perfectly comfortable in front of 20,000 people. He'd be incredibly uncomfortable in front of 20 people. He, yeah. did not, he just didn't do the small talk thing very well. He was very private. Um, the loss of his brother, uh, the, the marriage to share and all the negative publicity he got from that. He, Greg didn't open up to a lot of people. So to go through the process of writing the book with him was something that, um, you know, I treasure and I'm very proud of. But yes, to your point, it touched a lot of people and it brought a lot of people back together when he passed. Gotcha. So if people go and visit the big house right now in, in uh, Macon, what can they expect? What, what are they going to find when they make the drive up there? They're going to find... Uh, an unbelievable experience for it doesn't matter if you're 70 or 17 walking into that house there's a vibe that that you feel as soon as you come in uh it is a big house for one thing so it takes a while to go through all the exhibits um the first the ground floor is all music stuff everything you know guitars amps equipment clothing uh, lyric sheets, all that. What I think people will find fascinating is when they go up on the second floor in that the second floor has been recreated as much as possible to what it looked like when the band lived there. Uh, Dwayne's, Dwayne Allman's bedroom, uh, Barry and Linda Oakley's bedroom. Uh, Linda, Barry's widow, kept so much stuff uh, and gave it all to the museum that their bedroom has been recreated to essentially what it was like when they lived there. Um, There's a party room upstairs called the Casbah room. And again, perfectly recreated. If the Casbah could talk, uh, (laughs) tell some interesting stories. Um, So again, if you're a hardcore fan or a casual fan, just walking into something like this, I've seen people crying when they get there. Uh, it's like they, they've made it to Mecca. We've had people come from Australia, Japan, uh, Brazil, Finland, Czechoslovakia, England, Germany, you name it. And uh, why else would somebody from Osaka, Japan, come right. to Macon, Georgia? That ain't going to happen. I, I, can't uh, think, I can't think of a reason. Except, except to check out the, the big house. Uh, what really impresses me is all the different things you can do there. I've seen, you know, you, you've done a great job of showcasing it online. And so I've seen people Thanks, do dude. like their senior picks. I've seen, yeah. you know, this massive event space outside where you can, you know, if you wanted to hold a, a reunion or a, or a, a reception for a wedding or even a wedding itself, uh, you know, if you're that big of an Almond Brothers fan, I mean, you can do that there. You have so much space um to 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 kind of rent out um it's kind of cool that the people can utilize it as as more than just a museum you know 
Oh, absolutely. We've had a lot of weddings there. We had a 60th birthday party there the other night. And, the, you know, 60 years old, guys in the perfect age group. I mean, oh, yeah. he died and gone to heaven. Um, and, and so to, just to see people. And what's great about it, Steve, is everybody's there for the same reason. You, there's no bullshit there because you don't have any contrarians. You don't have anybody that doesn't want to be there. And it's so important for people uh, that the vibe is, is positive all the time. And it's, it's great to interact. I love it when the young kids come in. You know, yeah. I get it when somebody my age comes in. But even, I mean, I'm talking a lot younger than you. I'm talking 17 years old. You know, why are you here? And it's the same story. Well, my old man turned me on to them, and I want to be a musician, and there's nobody better than these guys. So, yeah, I mean, they have it. That line. <laughs> you know, vinyl records have made a huge comeback. A lot of people yeah, are man. now pouring into older TV shows because they stream their, their TV through the internet, right? Everybody's kind of digging back because, to be truthful, the quality has gone down in a lot of things over the years. I don't know that people make music anymore as often. Um, you know, there's these three minute repetitive, you know, sound bites that they call songs, but you listen yeah. to the Allman Brothers, that's, that's real music. And I'll tell you as a, as a, I, I, I want to say a young guy, it's, it's becoming less true each day that I'm a young guy, but as a young guy, as, uh, as I'm driving at night, right, I'll, I'll put on like soul shine or something. Right. And yeah. there's nothing better to drive to than that kind of music. And depending on the, the mood you're in, you could find a song in the Allman Brothers catalog that you know it's just perfect and um so i think it's just really really cool where can people find information about the big house where can people find you on online or on social media uh one place to start uh almondbrothersband.com to learn more about the band and again the support the band has had for the museum has been essential so almondbrothersband.com the museum itself is the big house museum.com um and uh, we've got a very nice website. We've got a tremendous online gift shop uh, where there's so many cool things that you can purchase and you can get a virtual tour. You can get an idea of what you're going to see. But again, until you step foot in there, till you arrive at 2321 Vineville Avenue, uh, you know, it, it's something that everybody that's any kind of music fan or that genre of music should do. And it's the great thing about Macon, it's on the way to everywhere. Uh, the museum is right off I-75. It's, it's two minutes off of 75 uh, on Vineville Avenue. And we're open Thursdays through Sundays to the general public. But if somebody is traveling and, uh, you know, they can get a hold of us, you know, I, I can't tell how many times, listen, man, I planned my whole trip around this, yada, yada, yada. You know, I'm from Canada, it, it, you know, please. So we'll open it up for people, you know, because wow. you don't want people to miss out on that. And the cool thing is we change things out. We get new stuff all the time. We get new merch. And so we try to keep it uh, evolving because we want people to come back. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool, Steve, it's one thing to have. I get why the people are coming from Finland. Okay. I get that. Um, but when the locals start showing up, then you know you're doing something right. Because you know how local people are. People yeah. in Philadelphia don't go see the Liberty Bell. People who <laughs> live in Miami don't go to the beach, you yeah. know. And so 
when when people from Macon come by, that's a really good sign. Um, so, yeah. So from Minnesota to Macon and any anywhere in between, come visit the big house. It, it'll be uh, it'll be something you'll never forget. That's awesome. And and you're on Instagram, uh, JP Linsky, correct? JP Linsky, L Y N S K E Y. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. You know, Eric said that that you know it all when it, or, or you know a lot rather when it comes to uh, the uh, the Almond Brothers. I definitely agree with him. And now hopefully the listeners know it some regarding the Almond Brothers and the Big House. Uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure, man. I really enjoyed this. This was fun. And uh, next time I'm heading up to Atlanta, I'll have to pop in. Steve, I can't wait. And thank you for the opportunity to come on. Uh, very enjoyable conversation. I, I'm so happy for you that you're that you're doing well and, and, and you're doing a good, good job with this. And, um, you know, I talked to some other people that you've interviewed, Mike Marinelli from Columbus and, and, you know, how about Eddie Alvarez? I mean, you're doing a good thing, brother. So keep it up. Thanks. Absolutely. You know, that, that, the school's special and it's yeah, definitely one that I owe a lot to. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool to be able to showcase a, a lot of the alumni. I, I think more than half of my guests have been either alumni or alumni parents. And that's something that I want to kind of keep going, uh, going forward. It's, it's hard to get a hold of some of these folks. Uh, Marcus Lemonis, uh, I still don't know how to contact him. I'm going to try Carrier Pigeon next. But, um, <laughs> you know, same thing with, um, uh, God, Brian Regan, you know, is another hard one to contact, right? Because people don't realize oh, this, but that, that school has produced incredible alumni. Yeah, we've done All okay, over. haven't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I'm. I'm uh, I'm definitely excited to to release this episode and uh, appreciate you coming on, man. And Stephen, again, and thank you for what you've done, and thank you for your service to our country. Uh, something awesome. we all we all appreciate, uh, and and we need more of. And so you you did your time, and you're doing great things now. And this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, I'll do it anytime you want. Okay, I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. All right, brother. You know, we'll we'll definitely. Uh, have to reconnect soon, man. All right, Steve. Thank you, brother. And that'll do it for another episode of the Know It Some podcast. My thanks again to Mr. John Linsky for your time and for sharing all that information with us regarding the Allman Brothers. I am going to be going and listening to their discography all over again now. Uh, Folks, if you haven't done so already, please leave us a five-star review on Podchaser, or you could do so at Apple or iTunes. Um, Folks, I'll I'll say that Podchaser is for both Android and Apple users. It's a newer platform, so it's easier for us to stand out. We're new to it, and we could definitely use some more reviews and some more five-star rankings there at Podchaser. Do us a favor. Please head on over and do that. And you could also help us out by following us on your favorite social media platform. We're all over social media at Know It Some Pod. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. We are there at Know It Some Pod. And you could always write to us, knowitsomepod at gmail.com. I love all the support. We have some really great guests coming up in the month of September. And so I'm very excited to say that we are starting to take off here, not just on the podcast charts, but really in we're going to up our game and bringing you incredible interviews week after week. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next Tuesday.